All right, Alice Tate, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Thanks, Hawkey. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm pretty good. So, formerly Alice Mills, most uh, yeah. most of you know people back in the old days might know you as Alice Mills. So, yep. um, married life, uh, and how many kids you got now? We have two, two boys. They're sort of nearly five and nearly two, so already a little bit manic. But um, it's a good life. We live a happy life down here. Where are you right now? I'm in Brisbane. So um, southeast Queensland in Australia, and it is the very early stages of winter, and I'm still in a singlet, so, you know, Australian living. Typical (laughs) Queensland, eh? Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Well, listen, I just want to kind of get into your your career. You know, you always fascinated me because you weren't, um, you know, you weren't the biggest girl. You're you're fairly petite, but you could always uh, get across the water, get across the pool pretty quick you know, part of um, gold medal winning relays and Olympic games and world records and all that sort of stuff. So I, I come fascinated by you and, and how good you were and, and your career and, and everything about it. So definitely want to dive into that a bit. Um, how did you get so good so quickly? I mean, you were good at the age of 16, like world-class good. How did that happen? <sighs> to be honest, I'm not completely sure. I, like you said, I was the little kid. And I was always strong, but didn't have that um, real weight-driven power behind me that a lot of my younger competitors had. So sort of through that early um, adolescent stage, I'd never won races and never made finals at states or anything like that. And all of a sudden, probably around the age of 13, I just started to use my power and weight to my advantage. Um, so I found ways to position my body in the water that let me sit a bit higher and Someone once likened me to a, a skipping stone across the pool because <laughs> yeah. I was just so light that it was like the water barely touched me. Yeah. Um, I think my early success, like when I first made the Australian team, I was only 15 at the time, and that was for the 2002 Commonwealth Games. Mm. I think I was at a, a perfectly balanced point where I was strong but light and naive but determined. So... If I thought I wanted to do something and I wanted to achieve something like making the Australian team and going to the Commonwealth Games, which was my goal for that year, I just had this block in my mind that I was like, oh, yeah, I'll just do that then, you know. So I think it was an equal combination of the physical power and strength that I withheld and that balance ratio that I had within my own body and the determination and just that like concrete mindset of, oh, well, that's what I want to do. So there's no problem. It'll be fine. <laughs> wow. Do, do you get more of that from your dad or your mom? Like, where do you get that from? Um, my dad was the athlete. Um, my mom actually cannot swim. Like if she fell in a pool, I would <laughs> be deeply concerned for her safety. <laughs> um, but my dad, he's, you know, a swimmer, a surfer, a footy player. So he, I think I got that competitiveness from him. Um, but my mum is probably the one who's more single-minded in her approaches to tasks and activities. And um, I probably got that um, really meticulous planning side of things from her where if I ticked every box, then it should work out all right. Yeah. Now, do you have brothers and sisters? Yes, I do. I've got two older brothers um, oh. and two sisters. So one older, one younger. So we oh, had wow. a competitive upbringing. <laughs> really? Yeah, I remember when I was um, probably 14, I beat my older brother's 50-metre freestyle time, which he did when he was about 19. So he's got 10 <laughs> years on me. And when I finally went 26 seconds, he, he was not pleased. <laughs> yeah. Why do you think uh, Queensland has such, is such a breeding ground for swimming? You know, you grew up there. Like, what's your opinion on it? Mm. Uh, it could be as simple as the fact that if you don't have a pool, your neighbour does. So you kind of just grow up in the water. And um, I remember spending summer holidays more time in the pool than out of the pool. Like we were just in our togs all day, every day. Mm. So maybe just that play aspect of moving about in the water and, you know, who can hold their breath the longest, who can get from one end to the other under the water the longest, may have had some incidental skill development. Mm. Um, And I think that's probably influenced a lot of the, uh, the swimmers from southeast Queensland. Um, but also, I think it's a almost contagious nature. You know, you see the people before you, like I idolised Susie O'Neill and Sam Riley and, 
they were locals to me. I would see them at the local swim meets when I was tiny and they were these superstars. And it sort of just creates a bit of a breeding ground, really. You see that. And I used to think what they achieved was quite normal. Like, of course they achieved that because they're swimmers and that's what they want to do. So I tried to just emulate that. And perhaps it's a common thought, perhaps it's not. But Mm. I think it's just a, a great nature here for growing swimming and for building swimming. So swimming was always your passion from a young age? Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. I remember joining my local swimming club only because my best friend from primary school did. And I just loved it. I loved going swimming after school and it was fun and um, enjoyable. And, you know, there's that love of just being immersed in water that I still have. I'm not keen to do laps anymore, but I still <laughs> like jumping in the pool. <laughs> yeah. Well, when did the competitiveness kick in though? Oh, if you ask me, I would probably later date it, but I reckon my parents would say I was competitive from the minute I was born. Mm. Like I just always had to be the best at everything, always had to finish first, had to get up the stairs first. Um, and I think that was probably a good thing in those early years when I was the really little kid racing because while I was competitive, I just wasn't good enough to be the fastest. So that drive never went away, even though I wasn't successful early on. Yeah. Now, when, who were your early coaching influences? Um, my earliest coach was a lady called Anne Lloyd. Um, she just coached at the local Rochdale Swimming Club. It was the six lane 25 and that's where I started mm. and spent probably the first six years of my swimming life there. I mean, I'm counting swimming life as from when I started squad training. So I was about six then. So six to 12, she looked after me and did a really good job and, um, she was very bossy and cranky and she'd sit on the end of the pool and have a Mars bar and a Coca-Cola and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, told us what to do and told us to keep getting off the lane ropes. And while I don't typically remember any um, poignant skill development, she just let us, you know, swim up and down and have fun. And um, she was really the driving force in me actually leaving and going to train with my long-term coach, Shannon Rollison, at the age of 12, because she recognised a potential in me that um, she could no longer nurture and she was very aware of that. So in order for me to succeed, she referred me on and it's probably the greatest thing she ever did because Shannon obviously took me to the greatest successes that I could have had in my swimming career. Yeah. I mean, Shannon Rollinson is a, you know, very famous coach in Australia, coached many great athletes, um, especially particularly women. Why do you think he was so good with, with women? I'm not sure. It, he was very good at communicating with us in terms of um, being more honest, I suppose. Um, so I guess maybe in my experience, a lot of female, young females were sort of treated a bit softer than the boys. Hmm. Um, so the boys were like, come on, you can do this, you can push, you know, and the girls were like, I don't know, maybe a little bit more nurtured. Um, yeah. Ruth Shannon was very, very strong driving force in me knowing that I could do whatever the boys could do, mm. you know, and I could be as strong as anyone else. Um, and I think the fact that he had myself and Jody, he had, um, after a little while, Tani White joined us and we had Cassie Hunt, who was a brilliant freestyle swimmer. Um, perhaps it was just that, um, spreading knowledge that, oh, he's doing well with girls and more girls subsequently joined us. Um, but he, he did have wonderful success with a few males as he transitioned down to the AIS as well. Yeah. Now, did you, are you and Jody Henry the same age? Jody is three years older than me. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. So, so at the age of 12, when you join the group, she's what? She's 15, you know? Yeah. So she was, I think she and I joined around the same time. But she was in the, I was only in the junior squad when I joined. And I believe she was in intermediates or maybe even seniors. Um, she was not on anyone's radar, um, but I like to watch her swim. Like she just swam beautifully. And it was something that I always remember when we would get out, they would get in. And I just remember staying a little bit longer just to watch how she swam because it was just this beautiful, effortless stroke. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It wasn't until I sort of went up to her squad that we became friends. And so was that like a, was it 
always a friendly thing? Like, were you guys friends from the get-go? Yeah, Jodie's a very easy person to get along with. Like, she's light and bubbly and um, she's really engaging with conversation. And even as a young kid, I remember thinking how easy it was just to chat to her. Um, we were definitely competitive, like even in training, because obviously we'd stand up and race at every session, which is fantastic when you're trying to build like the greatest female swimmers in the world. Um, but it, it's exhausting as well to have that mental mindset all the time. Um, but, you know, after every race and once warmed down had sort of settled off and you had your debrief with the coach, um, the friendship definitely re-established after that. But I'd be naive to say that I wasn't jealous of Joe's. Um, we are almost polar opposites in our approaches to training. Like I was saying before, I'm really meticulous. Like if someone says do 2050s on 45, I would do 2050s on 45. But I would sort of prioritise the achievement of the task rather than the skill set behind it. Mm. So that's my approach and I've done it and I've ticked it. Whereas Jody's was, okay, but maybe I'll try not breathing for the last 15 metres or maybe I'll try um, breathing every seven instead of breathing every four or something a little bit different. Like mm. she always executed a slightly different skill within each of the most even basic sets. So that was sort of one of the biggest differences between us. But also I think Jody was a much smarter trainer than me. So she read her body perfectly. If she was tired and knew physically that it wasn't worth going, she wouldn't go. Whereas mm. me, I was like, oh, I'm so tired. I'm so exhausted. I don't think I can move my body. But there's a box there that has to be ticked, so I better go. No. You know, so I, on paper, was definitely the harder, more physical trainer. But she was way smarter than me. <laughs> so, you know, I was a bit jealous. <laughs> <laughs> well, you both had your, your skills. You both were, were different and both amazing at what you did in different ways, you know. So she did it her way, you did it your way. That, that was it. Exactly. You know? But yeah. uh, what was it like being on the Australian team at age 16 for the first time? Oh, it was a bit overwhelming, to be honest. Um, I feel like I fit in okay. Um, and, you know, I'm a little bit, I try to make things funny and I try to make things light. And I think I held my own in terms of having a sense of humour and things like that. But like when I walked onto the Australian team, it was two years post Sydney. So there was, you know, at one table, Ian Thorpe, Grant Hackett, Michael Klim, yourself, um, Todd Pearson, like all these wonderful male role models. And then on the other table was Gian Rooney and Sarah Ryan and Jen Riley. And I think I was very lucky in a way to have Jodie beside me then because she had one year experience on me and had established some relationships and friendships and she was able to help slot me in a little bit. Um, but, you know, there was no denying that I was in this very powerful room and it really brought home to me just how normal all these people were because mm. I would sit with you all at dinner or at lunch or we'd do puzzles or colouring in or whatever boring skills they let us do <laughs> in holding camps. And, um, you know, it would just be fun and easy and you guys would talk about normal everyday life issues and I think as a young swimmer it's very reassuring to see that even the best people in the world are just like everyone else yeah yeah that's cool look I want to dive into Shannon a little bit in the way that he coached you because I'm really interested in in sprinting and speed training and um you know I, I think it's fascinating do you think there's a difference between the way women do it and the way men do it like in terms of the training itself um, as in my only experienced it as a swimmer point of view, I would say no. Um, I think speed conditioning is speed conditioning and mm -hmm. no matter which um, gender you are and what way you approach it based off that bias, I don't think that should have any influence on the way that you would structure a speed and sprint development program. Um, what Shannon did well, which I think was relatively new at the time, I mean, from 2000, um, he would sort of reverse cycle our training program. So um, whether it's like a 20-week prep or a six-week prep or whatever it was, we wouldn't start with conditioning and distance straight away to get fit again. We would go straight into speed. Mm. And it would be short speed. It would be like we're going to do 835 walkbacks and you're going to do 400 swim down in between each set and we're going to do it three times. Like just that short, sharp speed 
And then after three weeks or four weeks of that, we would go into a bit of distance and threshold and establishing more of that base. And then we'd come back to the speed where we had the muscle memory from it and we had the fitness behind it. And it would be a really good test to see how we'd improve from the initial stages. And at that time, I'm sure that Shannon was one of the first people in the world to try that. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. What, how did he sell it to you guys? Like, did he explain it to you and you, and you kind of believed in it? Yeah. So um, my, my approach was a little bit different because I was still doing all the medley training at the time. Mm. So once the speed and conditioning phase passed over, um, I, in that threshold phase would really dive into the um, heavy threshold of all the different strokes. So I had a little bit of a different um, experience to then the others who were just doing sprint training, but Shannon was always very open with his plan for the season. And we knew like in four week cycles, we'd be doing this and this and this. And I guess being, being young, I just thought that it would work. Mm. Um, I had that trust that it would work. And I honestly didn't know there was another way to do it. I didn't Mm. know that this was a new way to do it until um, people started commenting on the fact that, Oh, you're doing speed this early in the season. That's a bit odd. Yeah, well, not only are you doing speed, but you're doing um, long rest speed. Like you said, it was like walk back type stuff where that's, yeah. that's kind of fascinating to even, you know, to be quite honest, I haven't heard many people even doing it this to this day, you know, so it may be kind of an Australian thing. I don't, I don't think many Americans Maybe. do it at all. Um, Maybe. Is it something you did throughout your whole career? Yeah, yeah, um, oh. especially with Shannon. Like every every season would restart with speed. So it was kind of a nice way to get back into it too because everyone likes swimming fast. Mm. You know, nobody likes doing 10 400s, like one pull, one kick, one swim. Nobody likes that. No, nobody. <laughs> but, no. but everyone loves doing, oh, we're going to do 10 25s on 45s. Go. Like mm. it's fun. And yeah. I think it's just a nice way to reintroduce you whether you've had two weeks off or six weeks off or six months off. It's a nice way to slide back in. Don't get now, me wrong. Sometimes it had to be with Finn. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you yeah. just didn't have that ability anymore. Yeah. Did you guys get off the blocks a lot during that time? In like, In, you mean dive starts? Or? Yeah. Just, just practice. Yeah. 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 Most of our sprint efforts were dive with a start, like a proper start. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We didn't often do a lot of push start. Um, mm-hmm. If we were doing longer sets, like sometimes we'd do um, 350s max on two minutes either four or six times depending on the time of season and they will always be pushed but that was more like a back-end focus kind Mm, of thing if anything was a front-end speed focus it always came with a dive start wow that's super cool Mm. interesting now um, it was good for me because i was really good at stuff (laughs) yeah i had a little advantage there getting to practice them all the time what was your uh strengths you think um, I think definitely in those early years, it was that power to weight ratio. Um, and I was very, um, had a really good flexibility through my shoulders. So as I hit the water, I had a really good um, recoil with my streamline and I was able to get into a position quickly. I didn't have the underwater speed that someone like Libby has and had throughout her whole career, just with that really powerful dolphin kick. Um, but I was able to find the right positioning and minimize drag through the water with my own build at the time yeah now did you guys use a lot of sports science in your training did did you have people on the deck doing certain things with you guys yeah we did a lot of the time um tim kerrison was one of our sports scientists he worked for the qas and then eventually moved on to help with cycling through europe so Mm. (laughs) we lost him to a bigger cause but um he and shannon had a very close working relationship that used a lot of sports science and um, it was kind of nice because we'd get to try these different formulas on things. And especially me with my medley and sprint combination, it was a little bit of a um, odd combination at the time. Um, yeah. So I was, a, I was a little bit of a guinea pig, but I kind of enjoyed that um, approach. Like you never know what's going to happen. And I, I, luckily I had that confidence in them that I just believed that it would, everything would work out. What are some of the things they worked on together that, that they brought to the training? Um, a lot of recovery stuff. Mm, mm. So the best way to recover between sessions so that you could deliver speed every time. Mm. Um, so while we didn't hit speeds every time, you're still a sprinter. You still do a lot of load. 
So while you're kilometres in the pool might not be much, you'd train and then go to the gym and work on different speeds and then you'd train and then you'd have a recovery session with Pilates or something a bit uh, gentler. So there was a lot of recovery focus for them. Mm. Um, but also just a lot of fine tuning with those um, test sets. Like I recall us, you know, the step test, 7200s mm. on what yeah. that they were on five minutes or something yeah. as a fellow sprinter hawkey you would not have enjoyed <laughs> those kind of tests i tried to blow um, those at the results out so they wouldn't have to do them <laughs> you're just too slow it's fine yeah yeah forget that set. um yeah so we would do 650s on two oh, minutes instead okay. so that was our test set and that was a little bit of a um test for shannon and tim to work through um 650s on two minutes See how you go. Do you remember um, the best uh, the best kind of result you ever got in that, that test? Yeah, I do. I was thinking about that this morning. Yeah. Um, but in the summer of well, early 2005, so um, just after Athens had wrapped and we'd gone through Christmas and we just moved to Canberra and we did a test set and um, we did the 650s on two minutes and I averaged 25.7. 25.7? Yeah. On two like, minutes? On two minutes, yeah. Yep, I've got it in my logbook somewhere. <laughs> in a in just a regular bathing suit. Yep, just togs. Yep. Wow. Like I don't know if there was extra drag that day. Like Jody performed just as well, um, but we were on a training camp, so we only had one lane, so we couldn't actually race each other. But um, yeah, I really remember that. And even we, because um, we just moved to the AIS at the time, so we were on this training camp with the coaches down there, and they were like, "Are you timing these girls right? Like, what's happening here?" And you know, subsequently, a couple of weeks later, I went on to do my fastest times ever in freestyle. Like I went a 53.9 in the 100 free and a 24.4 for the 50. Mm. Um, and they remained my best times until I stopped swimming. So um, that was just maybe an exceptional example of it. But we did revisit that set often throughout the season and indeed throughout my whole career. Yeah. Did you like that? Did you like to repeat sets and and you know, test yourself? Um, as a tester, I did, yeah. But um, I sort of, I think as I progressed through my career, I fell into the trap of like self-expectation. And, you know, I, I averaged 25.7 once. Why can't I break 20, 27 this time? Like mm. I'm, I'm two seconds or two and a half seconds slower than what I was. Like what's happening? Yeah. So that was probably a source of anxiety for me um, as we progressed through. But that was only self-inflicted. Yeah. Do you remember any other sets that kind of stand out in your mind that you did regularly? Um, probably not regularly, but I do have this very strong memory of, I was only 13 and we were preparing for the age nationals that they hold over here, sort of around April time. So I was due to go to my first one for 13 and under, and I was not ranked to make a final or win a medal or anything, but my medley was really progressing. And I went, went into training one morning and Shannon was like, we're about to start taper in a couple of weeks. I really want you to try and get this set done. I was like, okay, what is this? And it was eight two hundreds IM on two fifty. Like not sprint, not anything, like just make the cycle. It's like when they set you fifties on forty. Like I just yeah. had to make eight two hundreds on two minutes fifty. And oh, I was freaking out. <laughs> like <laughs> keeping in mind my best time was probably two thirty at the time, like two minutes 30. So wow. it was PB plus 20 on a repeat cycle. Mm. And I remember making it by like three seconds and five <laughs> seconds and <you> know, <laughs> freaking out at what would happen if I didn't make it. But I made it. And I think that was probably a real confidence boost for me going into that first stage nationals, which I actually ended up winning the 200 AM and went 224. So oh, wow. only 25 seconds faster than that repeat <laughs> cycle. But um, nice. yeah, that's just something that really stands out for me. Yeah. What's this, what's the thing that kind of got under your skin as a competitor? Like what, what brought out the best in you, let's say? Um, mostly someone telling me I couldn't do it. Really? So yeah. So lots of people like to re remark on how small I was and like, you can't swim that fast. You're too small. Well, yes, I can actually. And I'll show you. You know, I was one of those watch mm. me type yeah. of people, <laughs> just mm. watch me. And I'm even a little bit like that with my work life now, you know. Oh, I don't know if you're quite ready for this kind of case. Mm. Yes, yes, I am. Watch <laughs> me. <laughs> um, yeah, it was probably that early on. I suppose um, 
as I progressed through my career, it was more of a um, personal satisfaction thing. Like, well, I know I've already achieved all these great things, but I want more. There's always mm. more to do. Um, but definitely the underlying force was watch me do it. <laughs> yeah. What was, what's, what's your height and weight when you're, when you're racing? Um, around Athens, which is sort of the benchmark beacon, yeah. I suppose. I was about 58 kilos and a one, probably 170, 170 centimeters, pretty, pretty small then. But keeping in mind, like I was completely almost prepubescent then. I mm. was a very young 18 year old. Um, when I finished swimming in 2012, I grew to 175, so I'm 175 centimetres still. Haven't started shrinking yet. Mm, good. Um, and I raced at 62 kilos. So okay. I was always strong, strong yeah. and powerful, but yeah. um, definitely not like I was in the early days. Like I think my first team when I would have first met you, I was barely 50 kilos. It was just tiny little tiny. Yeah, I just remember <laughs> you just being tiny. I was like, this girl, how did she swim so fast? But it was like you said, you did look like you just, it was someone threw a rock, uh, uh, you know, along the top of the yeah. water. It was like. Yeah, I've even seen videos and I'm like, hmm, that's appropriate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Um, what was it? What was your relationship like with Libby then? So I met Lib, yeah. So Lib was a year older than me, so I didn't fully meet her until probably later on in the Age Nationals kind of series. So I was already on the Australian team when Libby first kind of popped into my awareness. Um, But I got along with Libby really quickly, really well. Like Libby's very funny and very Mm. silly and she has that infectious nature that just draws you in. Um, But she was deathly, lethally competitive you know, and really driven to the point where our friendship probably didn't really deepen until we both stopped swimming. Mm. So, you know, she was always there for me and we went to each other's weddings and, you know, that's the level of friendship that we experienced then. Um, But it was only when we stopped swimming that she was like, oh, I was always jealous because you used to train so hard. And I'm like, "Ah, I was always jealous because you used to train so hard. (laughs) Like, you know, we always, we always had these, um, wonderful times together and indeed our best achievements were done together yeah but there was always that little sort of niggling impact of competitive sport I suppose that stopped that friendship from being a, a very serious one yeah well you guys were on the uh, winning relay together in Athens when you won the gold medal um I'm always fascinated by people who go to their first Olympics or just go to Olympics and win a gold medal straight off the bat. Like, how did you, how did you prepare for that? And how were you able to swim at your best in, in your first Olympics? Well, it is a fascinating thing. Like it was day one as well. So Mm. (laughs) first day of the Olympics, first time we swim in the Olympic pool, um, you know, first ever Olympic final on the first day, of the swimming program and we won a gold medal and broke a world record and I was 18 and I could have retired. (laughs) Yeah. You know, everything that you want and something that, you know, Sarah Ryan who'd been on the team for 10 years had tried so long to achieve, Mm. but it was, you know, her last Olympics and her last race and Mm. she finally did it then. Um, So, you know, it was a bit, I don't know, special. (laughs) Did you think Um, it was easy then? Yeah. I thought it was so easy. Yeah. <laughs> like I, like, of course I thought it was easy because everything just happened for us. Um, so Jodie and Libby and I, we, Jodie and I trained together with Shannon and Libby trained with Stefan Widmar. So, but we were all in Southeast Queensland. So um, once a week we would meet together and do a relay session together. So it would be like a normal quality set, but we do it as a relay. Mm. So we had those changeovers and experience together down pat. We knew how each other worked and, we also knew what our social strengths were. So in terms of how to mentally prepare in the marshalling room. Mm. Um, and then the, like Sarah Ryan did the heat for us. And then in the final, Patria Thomas slipped into her spot and she had the experience. You know, she was, she was the veteran. She was Patria. Like if anyone knew how to swim an Olympic final, it had to be her. Mm. So I think the combined naivety and self-belief of Jodie and Libby and myself, but, um, with Patria's exceptional experience, just kind of made us this um, quiet force. We weren't loud, we weren't boisterous, we 
probably weren't even the fastest on paper. But I think we were probably the only team in that race where all four of us really knew that we were going to win. And, you know, in an Olympic final, if you think you can win, you, you've got a pretty good shot. Yeah. So you weren't, were you nervous, like in the ready room? Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> really nervous. Um, you know, that heart, like even when I think about it now, you like your heart rate picks up a bit because it's this huge thing that in that life that you're living, swimming is your world. And when it doesn't work out, it's devastating. And when it does work out, it's euphoric. And mm. you always want the euphoric more than you want the devastating. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, we were nervous, really nervous. And I was the lead off swimmer. So I knew that my bit would be over the quickest, but I also knew that like I had to be ready to go. And I, you know, should I walk out with my goggles on or off or should I mm. wave with my goggles on or off? And um, I didn't even hear the referee's whistle to get up on the blocks. It was so loud. So myself and um, Caroline Joyce, the American, we were in lanes next to each other and we were almost sort of facing each other to prepare to get on the blocks. And neither of us heard. So it was almost mm. like a whoops, better go on the blocks. <laughs> How did but they yeah, pick a, the uh, how did they pick the young eighteen year old inexperienced kid to jump up on the blocks first? Who, whose choice was that? Oh, uh, that was Shannon's. Oh, really? <laughs> Which um, we'd practice for. Like I did it um, in nearly every four by one relay we did in the two years prior. So I was kind of ready for it, but it was also a um, a specific choice because. I was light and I was small and I would get smashed by waves. Mm. So when we'd done other relays in the past and even through my involvement in medley relays or four by 200 meter relays, um, if I was caught up in any kind of bow wave or anything, it would um, really knock me about. Mm. So it was always a strategic choice to put me in first because it's easier to skim a stone on a flat lake, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Did you feel good about your performance? Did you feel like you had a great swim? Um, personally, no. So I was, I think I split a 54.7, um, which was about half a second over my best. And, you know, when you factor in Olympic final, first mm. on the blocks, 18 yeah. years old, blah, blah, no. blah. It's okay. Yeah. It's all right. Um, and I touched third, which disappointed me because I like to win. Um, but that kind of quickly got pushed away because, I couldn't dwell on it because Libby was in the pool and Jodie and Patria were mentally preparing to do their thing. So I couldn't go talk to them and be like, oh, shit, oh God, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Um, I just had to get on with it and support them. And it wasn't until sort of we did a race reflection with Shannon later on that I was like, oh yeah, I didn't swim that fast. But he was very clear in the fact that, you know, times don't win Olympic gold medals. People yeah. win them. So don't yeah. worry about your time. You, as four people, won this Olympic gold medal, and that's what will we will be remembered, not yeah. that you split for half a second over your best time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you, did you have family and friends or any anybody in Athens? Yeah, so my mum and dad were there with my younger sister. So she was only about fifteen at the time, so she had mm. to go. She couldn't mm. be left at home. Um, yeah. And my aunt was there as well. So, but because of the ticketing split. Um, like dad was on one side and mum and my sister and my aunt were on another side. So oh God. it was kind of hard to <laughs> find them. I found mum first um, after the race. And then it wasn't until we'd received our medals and kind of did the walk around after that I spotted dad and he'd managed to come right down to the, the bottom stand, like to be almost on pool deck to be able to see me. So that was a really nice experience. And he got this fantastic photo of the four of us as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. We all, we all dream of winning Olympic gold and we think it's going to change our lives for the better. I mean, has the, has the Olympic gold medal changed your life? Mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know who I'd be without it. Um, I've had it longer than I didn't nearly. You yeah. know, like I got it at 18 and I'm 34 now, so I've nearly been in possession of it longer than I wasn't, which is a strange thing to think. Yeah, we're getting um, old. Yeah, we are. Well speak for yourself <laughs> i'll always be the young one <laughs> yeah. yeah in my eyes yes yeah yeah um but i mean you can't deny that it gets you a foot in the door so if people see um olympic gold medalists on your resume then they're going to go hmm there must be some skills that that person has 
that could be desirable in this job. So I've no doubt that it's given me a, um, a little head start in certain aspects of my life, um, but I don't think it fundamentally changed me. Like I think I'd be the same person had I won it or not. I just would be a little bit disappointed in myself if I didn't. Where, where is the medal? Where do you keep it? Uh, it's tucked away somewhere. <laughs> it's in the house somewhere? <laughs> actually, yeah, yeah. Actually, Vance, my oldest, he found them one day. He's like, what are these, mummy? And I was like, oh, <laughs> from another life, buddy. <laughs> but I'll tell you all about it one day. So, and, you know, he was, we were sort of talking to him about the Olympics um, at the start of the year because they were coming up and they were going to feature it at kindergarten and everything. And um, he was beginning to be interested in what, we did and what I achieved when I was younger. Um, but that with Corona, that kind of got pushed away. So we'll have to build him back up for next year. Yeah. I, I, uh, just recently, uh, you know, you mentioned Corona and just kind of being in quarantine for some reason, I watched one of my races the other day with my son and he's 17 and he, he's like, oh, I've never seen you swim before. I was like, really? I've never, oh, wow. never shown you any races or anything. So I, I yeah, I'm kind of like you in that sense that I haven't really, you don't dwell on it. It's just something you did back in the past. But, you know, I guess when you've got kids, you want to, you want them to know who you are and what you did and that kind of thing. Do you share that with your kids? Yeah, we, we definitely plan to. Um, we have this whole box of things that we're just holding on to that we hope they'll be interested in, you know, like all my golden caps that have mills on them. And um, Gregor, my husband, he swam for Great Britain. So he's got all of his Gregor Tate team gb caps and jackets and mm. you know we've got memorabilia coming out of our ears and <laughs> we're just holding out hope that one day they'll be like that's cool and then they'll move along <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but i'd like to show Vance, in particular the older one some footage of us swimming because he loves to swim and to be honest he's pretty good he's got a great kick on him <laughs> um and i'd like him just to see that we were people outside of who we are now yeah. It's not a concept he'll understand till he's older, but if he could start to develop memories of, you know, us showing him our swimming races from a young age rather than getting to 17 and realizing he hadn't, uh, it'd be a nice thing to do with him. Yeah. You know, two years into my coaching, um, I coached a guy to an Olympic gold medal, Cesar Cielo, and and I was kind of like you in, in the sense that like I'd, I'd achieved everything I wanted to achieve, you know, two years in, I was like, well, there's yeah. nowhere to go from here, you know? And to be quite honest, I chased it for many years and, and just never got back to that height again. And, and it has been somewhat disappointing in a way um, to, to not, not feel that again. And then you do realize how difficult it is. Was that something that challenged you throughout your career? You know, after winning a gold medal at 18 and feeling so easy, um, was it a struggle after that? Yep, definitely. I went through a whole world of struggles after that. Um, mostly to do with the fact that I finally went through puberty and grew and mm. went from being a almost boyish, like young girl to a female swimmer mm. who had female attributes and mm. female influence and wasn't as strong nor as light as I used to be and didn't look the same as I always had. And I really struggled with body image and mm. self-expectation and self-confidence. And um, that was probably the biggest hurdle that I had to get over because even though I was still doing the work and probably still um, more than deserving physically of um, swimming fast, I'd lost that belief that I could simply because the acknowledgement of my strength and power had gone away. So mm. no one really said to me anymore, oh, you're so fast and little and you're like a skipping stone, <laughs> you know. Those compliments went away and it was sort of replaced with, oh, you've grown now. Oh, you're bigger now. Oh, you're mm. strong. You might are you as strong as you used to be or are you just bigger than you used to be? Like, <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it sort of seemed to shift from a um, place of, amazement to more criticism mm. so that was something that I really struggled with and you know I went into the Beijing Olympics um, as a member of the 4x100 freestyle relay team again and I had that inkling of um, desire to win but I, it wasn't to the same level that it was in Athens and I didn't have that full belief that we could do it and we came third which is great and I mm. have two Olympic medals which is amazing but mm. Um, it was definitely a harder fought medal than the gold four years earlier. 
did you work with anyone during that time? Did you work with a psychologist or work, you know, counselor or anything like that? Yeah, I did. I saw psychologists on and off, but probably not to the level that I should have. Mm. Um, I and probably still am someone who thinks I can fix my own problems, and mm. I know that that's not true. And I would tell anyone who asked me that that's you know not a great way to live, and yeah. you need to go and get some help from someone. Mm. Um, so I probably saw it enough to tick the box and then let it go. Um, so if I could have my time again, I would let more people in. Look, let more people help me um, ask for help more often, but you can't change it. So, Yeah. What do you think of uh, Australian swimming these days? You know, you were kind of part of that golden age where, where the men and the women were so crazy successful and doing amazing things. And then obviously they went through a, a transition period where people like you moved out of the sport. Where do you think it is today? I think they're doing pretty well. They've got a good group of strong swimmers, um, very logical swimmers, people who were doing it to swim and not for any other reason, um, whether that be financial gain or not. Um, I think for a long time, because the Australian swim team was just this, I don't know, we were almost famous, really, mm-hmm. weren't yeah. we? Like, if you're on the Australian swim team, people are like, that's amazing. Like, you must be amazing and you must be so rich. Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, we're not, actually. <laughs> Three of us um, were, three, three yeah. people, three the of my rest, friends were. The 40 were. other ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The rest of us weren't so much. Yeah. Um, I think uh, they maybe have progressed through a sense of entitlement after that. Like, oh, I'm on the Australian swim team now, so I'm mm. pretty good, mm. you know, whereas I think when we were in it, everyone was very aware that we're a good team, but we were a hardworking team as well. So there definitely was a big shift in there um also after 2008 there was a huge number of people who retired from the sport so i was probably one of the only ones really left from that early 2000 period at that time Mm. um and i remember feeling like that like i didn't fit in anymore i felt like i fit in more as a 16 year old on this team of legends than i did as a 25 year old on a team of youngsters yeah i I didn't have a place anymore Mm -hmm. um but I think with the battles that they faced and the um, shift in expectation that they faced, um, I think the team is rebuilt to a really great level. And that's led by people, you know, like Kate and Bronte Campbell with their success and, and Emily Seabon being around for so long and doing so well, um, especially through a lot of adversity. I think they've found themselves in a good place. Obviously, mm-hmm. the swimming world is a little bit like everything up in the air at the moment. Um, and I don't know whether the Tokyo Olympics will be an appropriate measure for any kind of um, Olympic team because mm. you just don't know what this influence is going to be like and how long it's going to be for. But the rebuild phase is definitely done in the Australian team and I think they're strong now. Yeah. When did you know the time was up for you? Like, or how did you make that decision ultimately? I always sort of had in my mind that I would swim through to 2012. And there wasn't really ever a question about that. Like even um, at the end of 2010, I left Canberra and the AIS um, where I'd been training with Tracy Menzies for a while. I left there and I had a meeting with Shannon about it because he was still coordinating the program at that time. And he said to me, I don't think you should stop. I think you should find somewhere to keep going Mm. and keep pushing through to 2012 like you always wanted. And that was fine. Like that was always part of my plan. Um, I really wanted to go to three Olympics. I wanted to be a triple Olympian. Like, mm. There's not many people that do, and I was age appropriate for that. Like mm-hmm. I started young, so I still was relatively young to be going yeah. to a third. Um, and I spent my last 18 months of my swimming career with Glenn Baker on the, um, the Gold Coast. So he had mm-hmm. this huge stable of great swimmers, and we all worked together really well. And he taught me what it was like to feel strong again and mm-hmm. powerful and really really um resistant to any kind of influence that was negative like he just really made me feel good and strong ready Mm. to go um and i missed the london team by 0.2 of a second in the Mm. 53 oh wow um yes i kind of got out of the pool then knowing that i was probably done and i took some time out and considered going to um the world short course championships later on in the year and I actually even got back in the pool probably a month after Olympic trials and 
went to a few sessions and I was mid-session one day. We were doing like, like I said earlier, something like 10, 400s on one pull, one kick, one swim. And I was bored and I was not driven, not motivated. And I went, I'm getting out. And I just got out and never went back. Oh, that wow. was it. I called, called Glenn and I said, thanks for everything, but I'm going to retire and I'm done with swimming. And that was it. I've never thought about going back since. Wow. Incredible. How did you make the decision to be a nurse in the end? Well, I started my studies while I was swimming. So I was always very aware that swimming had an expiration date and I needed to have something to do. Um, With my plan to swim through to 2012, I knew that I'd be 26 and it's pretty grown up to be entering into the workforce, I suppose. So I wanted to find something where I could enter as a graduate um, but it not be such a big deal that I wasn't a 21-year-old graduate like I was 26 and that was okay. Yeah. Um, I always had this deep fascination with biology and how the body works and, you know, had I not been a swimmer, I probably would have pursued medicine rather than nursing. Um, but with the time commitments of swimming and travel and all that sort of stuff, nursing seemed like a better fit. So I plugged away at that while I was swimming and it took me six years to do a three-year degree. But Mm. I finished at the end of 2013. So I'd just been out of the sport just over a year, really, by the time I moved out, um, moved into the field of nursing. And I got like the perfect job I could have ever wanted. I wanted to be an operating theatre nurse and I got offered a full-time graduate position at a paediatric hospital in Brisbane and I was happy. And we've moved hospitals since to create a bigger facility, but I have been in that same role now for almost seven years. And oh, wow. it's great. I love it. And it makes me anxious about what could happen to my children. Um, it makes me hopeful that there's good people in the world, but um, it's deeply interesting and different every day. And it's something that I need in my life. I think I need that um, similar focus that I had to swimming where, you know, you have to be focused. You have to be on your game because all this could go wrong if you're not. So you think that's the parallels between, you know, swimming at a high level like you were and then being in an operating theater, that there are some parallels there? I think there are definite parallels, especially with me. Um, so, you know, if you're going to assist with a, a long case, like a, a liver transplant or a, a craniotomy or some kind of neurosurgery, um, they could be, eight to 10 hours long, those wow. surgeries. And, mm. you know, you have a small space to work with and a huge amount of instrumentation and a lot of pressure on you to anticipate what's going to happen next and what they're going to need. And I spent my life in that small focus, you know, that small, narrow-minded, this is what I want to achieve kind of focus. Mm. And it's almost a second nature for me to just get in there and apply myself and not need to have breaks and not need to, um, have a moment where I'm not focused. I'm just ready to keep going and going. So it's, it's very interesting. And I can't imagine myself at this stage working in any other stream of nursing. Do you have disappointment though, when, when there's failure in that field? Yep. Yeah. I kick yeah. myself if I even hand up the wrong size instrument or something, or um, if we don't get a desirable outcome from the surgery, like it's not my fault. I'm not the surgeon, but I feel disappointed Um, for for me and my performance and for the parents of the patient and everything. Mm. And it's, um, it was, it's definitely something I had to learn how to deal with because I've only ever been used to dealing with my own emotions, not those of the people connected to the situation that I was in. Mm. So you had to learn how to, you know, balance your life. And, you know, this part of my brain is the work and this part of my brain is the home and they don't cross over. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. Do you, um, have you, have you noticed anything within the hospitals in terms of where we're at now with the, you know, COVID-19, have you guys been hit in the hospitals in, in that capacity? Um, Australia has been exceptionally lucky in our experience of coronavirus so while we didn't escape the fear and anxiety that came with the pandemic um we definitely have mostly escaped the devastation of the health of the nation um we haven't had thousands of deaths we've just ticked over a hundred over the last few months which is awful it's an awful thing but compared to other countries like we're doing okay 
Um, I work in the children's hospital and children seem to not experience um, coronavirus in the way that adults do. So we haven't had any really experience of it. And because again, then I work in theatres, we're even further separated from it. So in the initial stages of the pandemic planning, we were looking at being redistributed to emergency and ICU as those front lines fell down um, from sickness themselves um, based off what was happening overseas. So we were going to come in as a second wave of healthcare workers into those departments and we were never needed because it just didn't transmit here like it did overseas. So we're at a point now where, you know, we live in Queensland and as of midnight tonight, Queenslanders can travel anywhere within Queensland, which is great. Like it's a big state and there's plenty to see and plenty to do. Um, we still can't cross the border into New South Wales, but um, we are opening ourselves up to a bit more freedom um, than we were experiencing last month. So it's been an interesting experience, especially as a nurse. Um, there were times where I was anxious about my exposure to an illness like that and whether yeah. I would bring it home. And, you know, if, if I was exposed to it, like, where would I go? I can't go home to my two boys and my husband because I don't want them to get it. Um, but you just have to trust in the systems we have in place and the personal protective equipment that we wear. And really, we're, we're doing okay. Yeah. Well, listen, um, I want you to know this. This is my podcast and I talk to whoever I want to talk to. And I really wanted to talk to you because I always felt that you're an amazing woman. Um, I always had so much respect for you in the way that you went about your, your business and did your stuff. And I was always impressed by the way that you swam. Um, but, but mainly just the person you were. So I'm so thankful you came on the show today and shared some of your experiences. And I think you're incredible. Well, that's very kind of you to say, Hawkey, and the admiration is mutual. You were probably the first grown-up person who was nice to me on the Australian swim team. So <laughs> I'm very appreciative. Thank, thank you. No worries. Well, listen, I appreciate all the work you're doing too in the hospital. Keep it up and um, say hi to your lovely husband for me. I know he's back there I somewhere. Will. Yeah, um, he's hiding with the boys. <laughs> yeah. All right, listen, take care, all right? Awesome. Thanks, Hawkey. Yeah, no worries. See you, Alice. Bye. 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 All right, good stuff. Appreciate it. Easy. Yeah, too easy. Thank you. Thanks for your time. No worries. I hope I didn't ramble on too much. No, no, you're perfect. I liked how you d dug into your training a little bit too, because that's I think people are really interested in that over here too. You know, just what do the Australians yeah. do? How do they do it? So that's good. <laughs> Why are they but, so damn good? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know, talking about your personal experiences too. You know, the 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 successes and the struggles. I think that's real stuff. So it's good stuff. Yeah. I think everybody has struggles at some point. It's just a matter of recognizing them before they get too bad, which I think honestly, like it's hard to do without hindsight. Yeah. You don't, you don't really know that could have been fixed until you've gone through it and realized, Oh, that was a really easy way to fix that. If I was just more grown up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, well I appreciate you right. sharing today. Thanks. No worries. Thanks, Hawkey. I hope yep. you're not up too late. No, I'm good. All right. Take care, okay? Yeah, okay. See ya. Bye. Bye.